Well, amen. God sees the heart, amen? Isn't that the truth? That's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? Truly is. All right, take your Bibles, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, up in the sound booth. I forgot to tell you earlier, if you would uh, look up uh, under pastor in there and you'll find something rightly dividing with the date today, I may or may not need some of that, but if I do, um, we'll need it. So you'll see where it starts. It'll start with rightly dividing. You can just kind of have that ready to go when we need it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Writing to Timothy, the apostle Paul says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we're going to see that the Bible calls the student of the word of God a workman. The truth is, is that studying the Bible is work, takes effort. And if there's anything that holds us back from knowing our Bibles, it's probably that right there, that it just takes a lot of work. Now, um, yesterday, or last night, I think it was, after soul winning, I uh, had my grandchildren with me, and, and uh, we went to the um, ice cream stand afterwards. Boy, I'll tell you what, that, that wasn't hard at all. That wasn't hard a bit. I mean, I'll tell you what, I, it didn't have any problem. It didn't bother me, the thought of going there. The only thing that was difficult was when I pulled my wallet out and had to pay. Outside of that, though, man, it was easy, as they say, peasy. Let me tell you something. When it comes to studying the Word of God sometimes, let me tell you, it's not so easy, is it? I mean, just the thought of studying the Bible sometimes kind of puts a little bit of a, eh, should I get started or not? Well, I probably don't have that much time right now anyway. By the time I get going, I'd have to close down. I'd just start later. I'll start tomorrow. Tomorrow. Years ago, there was a there was a commercial on, and it was talk about going to one of these community colleges in the neighborhood. And I still remember it over and over again. It would play it, and kind of just became kind of second nature. You, you know, the, 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 the ending just was, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And sometimes when it comes to the Word of God, that's how we are, isn't it? I'll get started tomorrow. I'll read tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. I'll, I'll dig into the Word of God tomorrow. And unfortunately, it's just a lot of work. And as he says, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. What I found about uh, working was that when I worked hard, I had nothing to be ashamed. But when I didn't work hard or do my best, then I had a reason to be ashamed. Boss would say, hey, how's come that looks that way? How's come it turned out that way? And I'd be like, oh, man. But if I gave my best, I'd be like, I, I don't know, I, I did the very best I could. I had no reason to be ashamed. But when we didn't do our best, there's reason to be ashamed. And the Bible says here, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Well, how does that happen? I mean, how do we ensure that uh, as a workman we're not ashamed? He says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now again, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you, there's some debate on what that all means. But can I tell you, I don't believe there's a lot of debate. I believe that we're going to find in the Scriptures that 
The Word of God is to be divided in certain ways in order to ultimately come to the right conclusion. I mean, everybody would say, well, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. Well, that's a division. That's rightly dividing. But the problem is sometimes is that the Old and New Testament, based on what we have understood it to be, based on how it's broken down our Bibles, isn't really the Old and New Testament at all. The New Testament doesn't even begin till the death of the testator, which means that the blood had to be shed before the new covenant came into being. Well, guess what? That's the right division. But if I start at Matthew chapter 1 and I begin to read, I'm not necessarily in the new. I'm still in the old. And so we better be careful that we rightly divide. You run into all kinds of scriptures that cause you to doubt your salvation. You go to places like Matthew or possibly over to even Acts or Hebrews or James, and you start losing your mind because you think you're going to lose your salvation. You better be careful because some of those verses aren't written directly to you as a church member or to the church. You got to be careful. You got to rightly divide the word of truth. So the student of God, the student of the word of God is referred to as a workman. And a workman cannot intelligently do the work of interpreting or digging into Scripture or figuring it all out without a game plan. When we um, were in the midst of this project here at Community Baptist, I still remember that one of the first things we had to do was we had to have a plan table. I mean, you, you, you got all your permits and everything, and, and you had to have your permits posted on the plan table, you had to have the plans on the plan table, and on that table were all the plans of the entire building, the whole project that had been approved already, because you had to have your plans approved down at the uh, county, uh, well, yeah, the city of Akron in this case. And so there that table sat, right there on the stage, right here in front, normally on this side or on this side, depending on what place on the, in the project we were, and there those plans sat. You knew if you needed to look something up, you need to figure something out, you go to those plans, and it would tell you what you were planning on doing. You needed the plans because it gave you direction. It helped you to identify what was taking place and what steps needed to be taken next. What it would look like in the end, you could see, so to speak, a vision of the whole project from beginning to end by looking at the plans. It broke it down individually, but as you put it all together, you went, wow, so that's what it's like. And that's exactly what we need. We need a blueprint, if you will. We need to be able to look at the Word of God and begin to identify key things within it and begin to put them together and rightly divide them so the big picture comes into play. God said to Moses concerning the tabernacle, He said, See that thou make all things according to the pattern shewed to thee in the mount. The pattern, He said. I'm not asking you just to build a tabernacle. I'm giving you a pattern to do it. I'm not just telling you what to do, I'm telling you how to do it. Isn't it wonderful because when we just, uh, even Brother Davis showed up this past weekend and he began to share some truths with us. Can I tell you where he found those truths? In the Word of God. And what he was really doing was just, he was just expressing or sharing with us the pattern that God had for us as believers and as people, his creation. 
when you deviate from God's pattern, you run into a real big mess. If there has ever been a heartache between couples or relationships or circumstances in life, it's usually because somebody or both departed from the blueprint. From the pattern that God has given us. God's given us patterns on how to raise our kids. He's given us patterns on how to build our marriages. He's given us patterns on how to build the church. He's given us patterns in every aspect of our Christian life. It isn't long before a person begins to study Scripture that they realize that figuring out the Word of God can be rather tricky at times and rather confusing, isn't it? I mean, we'd be remiss to think somehow that you go to bed at night and you put your Bible under your pillow and you wake up and with the process of osmosis, you have just figured it all out. It doesn't work that way, does it? And the truth is, is that the Word of God has brought confusion to me at times in the sense that I've looked at it and thought, what does that mean? Not that it in and of itself is confusing, but the Word of God trying to piece it and part it together and put it together as God intended can be very difficult at times. Words have to be understood and, and, and you know, God's intentions need to be kind of placed in the proper place. And if we get things in the right places, we come to the right conclusions. If we don't, we have problems. So we really, we need somewhat of a game plan as we head into it. In order to harmonize the scriptures then, in order to make them fit as God intended them to, we have to rightly divide them. St. Augustine said this, he said, Distinguish the periods and the scripture will harmonize. After an address by Reverend A.J. Gordon on the plan of the ages, a gentleman said to him, Why, doctor, you have a pigeonhole for every text. What was he saying to him? You make every scripture fit somewhere. You know what he was doing? He was dividing the scriptures. He wasn't resting the scriptures, as Peter speaks about. He wasn't bending them or trying to make them fit to his own philosophy or ideology, no. But he was finding where the Word of God rightly divides, where God intended it to be divided, and he puts things in their proper place, which then ultimately places them in their proper perspective and leads us to the proper destination. We must... Learn to rightly divide the word of truth then. It's so imperative and important. Although the word of truth is written for everyone and for our learning, it is not addressed to everyone in general. That means that when it, you read a passage in Scripture, it's certainly for you and it's for your learning but it may not be addressed or written specifically to you. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, it could be addressed to the Jews. It could be addressed to the Gentiles. It could be addressed to the church. And you know, these three classes of people, as we've noted in the past, 
represent the entire human race. You are either a Jew, a Gentile, or you're part of the church. When I came to Christ, I became part of the church. I said, but you're a Gentile. Not in God's eyes, I'm a part of the church. I'm the bride of Christ now. Again, we are either a Jew, a Gentile, or part of the church. I was born a Jew. Well, if you trusted Christ, you're part of the church now. Well, that doesn't make sense. I still want to go back to my heritage. I want to be a Jew. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want to be a Christian. You want to be part of the church. Hey, Gentiles by, uh, by, by nature don't go to heaven. They're condemned already. Do you know what else? Jews are too. The only ones going to escape hell are the ones in the church, this dispensation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32, we read that these are the only three groups of people that God addresses. In the New Testament, we note, he says, Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Pretty clear, isn't it? Now again, while the whole Bible was written for the instruction of the church, no doubt about that, it's not all written about the church. Now again, it's, as we noted already in our studies, the church wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. You don't see direct references to the, the church in the Old Testament. Oh, you'll see pictures of it and all of that, I understand. But they did not recognize, nor did they realize, that the church would come into existence. They had no clue or concept that Jew and Gentile would become one body. They didn't see that. And that was a mystery that was first revealed by the Apostle Paul. We read about it in Ephesians chapter 3. Now in the Old Testament, it was primarily occupied or focused on one nation. And that one nation was Israel. From the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we're going to see it isn't long before he runs right smack dab into this faith, this Jew and ultimately working with the Israelites. Genesis 1 through 5, we see creation. And then we see 1,700 years of human history in the first five chapters of Genesis. 1,700 years. That's a long time, isn't it? I guess it is, but then again, people were living to 1,000 years of age. That's kind of interesting. Genesis chapter 6 through 9, we have the account of the flood. We're going to note along the way that that ultimately changes everything. Boy, the flood was a game changer. Then we see chapters 10 through 11. And this accounts for 400 more years of human history. And then we arrive at chapter 12. Chapter 12. God singles out one man. Can anybody tell me who that one man was? Abraham. Abram, that's right. Look, if you would, in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. 
Let's look at verse 1, 1 through 3. So in the first five chapters of Genesis, there are 1,700 years of human history that are covered. Again, that would seem like a long time with the exception of the fact that people lived to be 1,000 years old. Then you have chapter 6 through 9, you have the account of the flood. You have chapters 10 and 11 that address 400 more years of human history. And then we run right into chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now again, it's not part of my notes, but I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I get a little nervous when our government or anybody starts talking negatively about the Jew. I still see here that there's something unique, and we're going to see, you'd see throughout the Word of God that there's still something very unique. When somebody believes that God is finished with the Jew and that we took their place, they're wrong. They're dead wrong. In the book of Romans, we'll probably note, we may take a moment to read about it, but we're going to see that God is not finished with the Jew yet. And they're a blessing to all of us in so many ways. One way is that they brought forth the oracles of God. You realize that they protected and cared for the Word of God for you and I through the centuries? The reason we have this book today, one of the main reasons is because the Jew was faithful in maintaining it. Oh, I know that it got hidden in the the temple. I know that they lost it for a time, but they found it. And here it is today in our hands. We're thankful for how God used the Jew to provide for us faith in Christ ultimately. So the Old Testament centers around the Jewish race. And again, we have to understand we're we're talking about rightly dividing Scripture here. So as we get into that Old Testament and we begin to deal with it, we're going to read a lot of things. And you know what we're going to mostly read about? The Jew. We're going to read about how God interacts and deals with Jews. And so we have to be careful when we begin to apply scriptures that belong to the Jew to the Gentile. I'd be very careful with that. Otherwise, we might as well throw rightly dividing out of the word. We'll just take everything that's written to anybody and claim it ourselves. Uh, You know, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. When we we, uh, finally purchased the carousel dinner theater, well, was it after? No, I think it was... I think it was before now. My memory's going bad, and you know, the older I get, the hard, harder it is to remember. But I, I remember that's, be careful there, okay? Calm it down. <laughs> Calm down a little bit. I, I like saying it, but I don't like hearing somebody amen in it. Uh, but anyway, what, what, what did I just say? But no, but anyway, uh, the, the fact is, the fact is, I think it was before we ever bought the building, I, I still remember, man, I, I went on over to the property here. I, I got out of my car, and I marched around this thing. I marched around it, and, and I got around it, and I thought, man, you know what? I need to march around the whole property. And then I thought, that's a little bit too far, so I'll just keep around the building. So I marched around the building, 
I marched around that sucker seven times. I said, man, claiming it. Claiming it! Let me ask you a question. Did God promise if I walk around the carousel once every day for six days and then the seven, seven times that the walls would fall or that I would be guaranteed that this would be ours? Did he ever tell me that? <laughs> Probably not. I know who he did tell that to, though, concerning, uh, concerning uh, um, let's see, not Nineveh, but Jericho. He told the Jews that. You know, sometimes we better be careful claiming promises as our own that belong to somebody else. And then we wonder why they don't get answered the way we prayed them. It's because he's not giving, he's not answering that, giving that promise to us. Now, if God tells me, Mark, you march around that place and I'll give you that building. If he told me to do it, I'm doing it. Uh, it's my promise now. If he gives it to me. But if based on the fact that he did it for the Jew, I say, well, you did it for them. Bless God, you'll do it for me right now. I don't know that he always answers it that way. You better make sure it's personal. And again, I'm not trying to exclude the Word of God and say, well, the only part of it, you know, is going to be any good to us. It all is good to us. It's all for us. It's not necessarily all written to us specifically. We have to be careful to rightly divide. Otherwise, there's confusion that's brought about. In the New Testament, well, let, let me just say, let, let me go back. I skipped a portion. I want, to, I want to remind you of this. We just got done talking about the Sabbath the other day. Last week, we talked about the Sabbath. Now, again, when we take Old Testament promises and we apply them to the church, we rob the Jew of that which is exclusively theirs. Again, consider that command to keep the Sabbath. As we mentioned last week, the Sabbath was given to, the, to Israel exclusively. It was given to them. I don't go to church on Saturdays. And if I ever would go to church on Saturday, it would be for only one reason. That'd be to walk on in and win somebody to Christ there. Okay, it wouldn't be to go there and worship God, because that's not when I'm to worship God. That, that Sabbath was given exclusively to them. Matter of fact, it was given to Israel as a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. He says over there in the book of, of Exodus, he says, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Not me and in God, but between him and the Jew. Him and Israel. Also in the New Testament, we have the epistles of Hebrews and James. Do you realize that they're very, they're Jewish? Those epistles are Jewish. I mean, just the title Hebrews kind of offers us an obvious clue to whom God was actually pointing or directing the book to. Again, I'm not saying that we can't glean from it, nor can we benefit from it, nor can we claim many of the promises in it. However, we need to be very careful when we look at that book. I can't even tell you how many people have been messed up in chapter 6 of Hebrews because they haven't rightly divided. We have to be very careful. James opens up by telling who the book is actually addressed to. James chapter 1, verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. I don't know about you, but I'm not one of the 12 tribes. I'm not, I'm not part of the 12 tribes. I'm not, I mean, the 12 tribes refers to Jews. I'm not a Jew. I'm not part of that crew. I'm in the church. 
You say, well, why would he write it then? Because he's not done with the Jew yet. And he's got something for us to learn from it too. I mean, it still applies to us in so many ways, but we have to be kind of careful how we apply it, understanding who it was actually written to, rightly dividing it. So these two books, you take up Hebrews and James, those two books are going to ultimately be books that transition people from the church age and dealing primarily with Gentiles to dealing primarily with Jews in the tribulation period. So that's crazy. Well, think about this. In the book of Acts, what was Acts? Acts is a transitional book. We have God dealing with the Jew. All the way up to chapter 7, we see him still trying to get the Jew to recognize him as Messiah and to claim him as one. And then we see a transition take place from Jew to Gentile, from the law to grace, from Israel to the church. We see those in Samaritan, the Samaritans, excuse me, being preached to by Philip. And then then all of a sudden, we we note that uh, ultimately we have the salvation of the Apostle Paul. Man, I mean to tell you, should I say actually chapter 10, we've got Cornelius getting saved uh, through the work of Peter. And then we have the Apostle Paul. A transition, Old to New Testament. From the law to grace. Dealing with Israel to the church, transition. Guess what? When the church is raptured out, there'll be need for another transition. Because God will no longer be dealing with the church, he'll be dealing with Israel again. And these two books are transitional. Other books in the Bible are very general. We think about the epistle of Romans. Think about Romans. Romans is an awesome book. Paul speaks to both the the Gentile and to the Jew in this book. He addresses it, and he's very clear who he's talking to at the time. Chapter 8. I mean, you wouldn't apply chapter 8 to the Jews. But on the other hand, you're not going to apply chapter 11 to the church either. Turn to chapter 11, verse 11. Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, let's begin reading in, let's look at this. Hmm. Let's look at verse 13, uh, verse 11, excuse me. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that God should fall? Now, he's talking basically about Israel. Verse 7, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he, uh, he seeketh for. Blah, 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 blah. Verse 11 now. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles... How much more their fullness. It's amazing to me, and I'm just going to stop there, but it's somewhat amazing to me how believers in this time in which we live, if they're not careful, 
they come to the conclusion that we've taken the place of Israel. But the passage tells us that it is to our benefit that Israel be elevated again. That it only gets better if they are put in their rightful place. We are cheated even if they never get where they're supposed to get. And we know they will get there because God's ordained it and it will happen. But we have not replaced the Jew. Even in Romans chapter 11 here, we see the Apostle Paul making the distinction between the Gentile and the Jew. Verse 13, he says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. He's, he's making it very clear. Now I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, Gentiles. And I'm talking to you about Israel. And I'm telling you that what you have experienced is a direct result of what Israel's gone through. You better be thankful for them. Because even though they have fallen, that's the only reason I've grafted you in. I'm putting you in place. Now listen, I know somebody said, well, what about uh, God? Or, uh, you know, you're telling me Jesus would have never died and all that. I get it, I got it. I get all that. You got to understand God has foreknowledge. God would have made everything work out. It would have all matched up with Scripture. There's no doubt about it. But God already knew how things were going to turn out. You know, we can guess all day and try to figure it all out. What would have happened if and if and and. I used to have a friend that used to work at uh, Coffins with me when I first started the church. He'd say, if if and nuts, if, if, if and butts were candies and nuts, every day it'd be Christmas. He'd say that all the time. If, if, if and butts were candy and nuts, then every day it'd be Christmas. The truth is, you, can't, you start going, well, what if this? And, and, but but I, I don't have all the answers but I know God does. It's all handled. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Let's look there. What we understand is this, without a doubt. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's all profitable, profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, and for instruction, for instruction in righteousness. See, all scripture, all scripture is for our instruction. There's not any portion of this book that, that won't teach us something. It's all for us in that sense. We all understand and can reason it out and see what God has and learn from it. He will instruct us from the scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration. It's all God-breathed, and it's all for our instruction. So it doesn't matter where you're reading from. You can get something out of it that will make a difference in your life. For our instruction. Now look over 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11.
you're telling us, preacher, that uh, that's, you know, all Scripture's been, you know, it's for us and, and, and all of those things, but it's not all specifically written to us and that we have to rightly divide it. And so what's it all about? Well, it's for our instruction. But notice this too. Here's what God says about some of those things, even in the Old Testament. Look in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happened unto them for our ensamples. It's pointing back now to Israel. Pointing back to Israel. It's going back to Israel. Notice, now all these things happened unto them, Israel, for our end samples, all those that lived in that Old Testament, for our end samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And we could say end samples meaning examples. You know, we often say before, you can learn two ways. You can learn the hard way or by the mistakes of others. And there's still a lot of truth to that, right? Now, I don't know about you. How many of you have had to learn the hard way? Yeah, my hand's up, that's for sure. But you know what? There are some of us that took a lot longer to figure it out than others. And some of you young people be wise to try to do your best to learn as much as you can from the mistakes of others so you don't have to endure and go through what some people in this room have had to. You say, but experience is the best teacher. I must admit that in some cases it may appear that way, but God obviously says, I would like you to avoid some experiences. There's some that maybe you'd actually profit more by not experiencing. So don't buy into the devil's lie that you have to go out and get drunk so you understand what a drunk thinks like. I think I'll take some drugs at least once so I can identify with a drug addict. That's a bad move because you may end up right where they're at. not smart. (laughs) Then he goes on to say, for our admonition. For our admonition. What's he really saying? He's he's saying that word admonition means um, gentle reproof, counseling against a fault, instruction in duties, caution, direction. He says, now all these things happen unto them Back there in that Old Testament, and everything that's written may not be written directly to you, but I guarantee you, everything that's written is for your learning, and it's written to you for your admonition. It's an example to you. It's there to help you. It's there to instruct you and to assist you in learning. But even though they may be written for an example to us and our admonition, we have to be careful that we don't apply to the church what doesn't belong to it. We just have to be very careful there. So what happened to Israel was written for our example uh, and, and for our admonition. And that's good. So we have to be careful we don't misapply the Scriptures. Rightly divide the Word. There are some divisions in Scripture and God places those divisions there. When we fail to rightly divide the truth or the Word of God, we are certain, without a doubt, going to create confusion and promote error in our lives. That's all there is to it. You're going to come up with some crazy doctrines. And like I say, I mentioned early on in the, in the course of our, our lesson, this aspect of salvation, eternal salvation, 
versus losing salvation is often the result of not rightly dividing the Scriptures. Again, if we would turn to the book of Matthew and we would read over there in Matthew 24, and he says, Except ye endure to the end, ye shall not be saved. Endure to the end? I must obviously have to consistently, continually go to church, read my Bible and pray and be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ or I will not endure and therefore I won't be saved. That would be a logical conclusion. But we have to understand where that passage falls. It is in the Old Testament, first of all. Still Matthew 24, Jesus has yet to be nailed to the cross and shed his precious perfect blood and rise from the dead. But we also note that that passage in Matthew 24 is sitting right smack dab in the tribulation. I'll guarantee if you're in the tribulation, you better endure to the end. Because if you take that mark for any reason, you won't be saved. I don't care how many times you cry, Jesus save me, 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 Mark. Peace out. That's it. It's over. You didn't endure to the end. You're done. You're toast. Your goose is cooked. You got to rightly divide the scriptures. Otherwise, there'll be a lot of confusion. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to look at two verses, and then we're going to call it a night. Can you believe it? I know, you can't even believe it, can you? But if I start the next section, we'll be here the rest of the night. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 33. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go back to verse 40. No, 33, I'm sorry. Back to verse 40. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? How about we stay in 33? For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as as in all all churches of the saints. Excuse me. God's not the author of confusion. Now, I guarantee you this. There are passages that are already somewhat tricky. They'll get you. I mean, you'll be going along good, and then you'll trip right over them. You will trip right over them. It'll confuse the life out of you unless you rightly divide. And let me tell you, just because you know to rightly divide doesn't mean that comes easy all the time. It takes... Study takes prayer. It takes dependence upon the Spirit of God. For God is not the author of confusion. That's not what He wants for us. But in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, He makes it very clear. Let all things be done decently and in order. I know that that doesn't say rightly divide the word of truth. But boy, it sure seems to imply it to me. Let all things be done decently and in order. Man, when you get into this book, you need to do it decently and you need to take time to do it orderly. 
Boy, if you're reading the Bible, I really don't agree with this method all the time. I don't have a problem every once in a while. You think, I'm just going to pick the Bible up and read it. But for you to go, oh, God, help me to read what I need today. Psalm 97, 3, a fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about him. Praise God. I'm going to work today and all my enemies are going down and I'm getting the promotion. You know, I mean, it, it, let all things be done decently and in order. Well, I'll tell you what, I think you need a reading schedule to some degree. I think you need a game plan of attack. I think you need to know already how you're going to go at the Word of God. How are you going to take it? I mean, it's like anything else. Piece by piece, right? Here a little, there a little. Every jot, every tail, just piecing it, piecing it, putting it together like one brick on top of the other. You don't just take a bunch of bricks and throw them into a pile and then go. You have to go one at a time. And that's exactly what it is, decently and in order with the Word of God. And rightly dividing, so critical and so important. God is a God of order. You know, I I loved uh, Brother Davis and his presentations. Uh, One of the reasons I love what he did was because, based on what he shared with us, it was an, an, an attempt to bring order to things. I'm, I'm all about order. Uh, other than my desk at times, I like order. I mean, I want things in their rightful place, their right place. And you know, God does too. And when you start dealing with your Christian life, if there are things that are out of order, that is not of God then. Hey, God's not about that. He's not about confusion. God's not the author of confusion. We've already learned that. Therefore, if it's confusion that is about us, then it's not from God. It's got to be of the God of this world, little g. It's the flesh taking over. It's us trying to do it without Him. Listen, if your marriage has confusion and it's a mess, it's not because God's let you down. It's because you've not let God. He's a God of order. You bring God into the mix, He's going to start ordering things. He's going to put things in their right place. And you're going to, you'll be able to get up in the middle of the night and walk right through the living room and not stub your toe when God's in charge. Because He's a God of order. You'll know right where everything fits. Raising our kids, we say, man, it's wild. It's nuts in my house. It's because, once again, we've not allowed God to order it. I'm not saying that from time to time there's not chaos in a home. I don't care. I don't care how good a parent you are. When you got kids, you got kids. But hold on a second. If that's the norm and not the exception, there's a problem. Order. So God wants in our lives. Is anything out of order in your life today? Is there that unrest? You know what I mean? You, you know what I'm talking about, that unrest. Let's make sure God's where he belongs in the midst of that. If he's where he belongs, he'll bring peace to that. He'll bring order to that. And that's what I want. I'm sure that's what you want too. So we need to rightly divide the word, and we need to strive for order that comes from God and his word. 
we rightly divide it, we'll finally ultimately understand what God demands, what He desires of us, what our ultimate destination is in in, uh, respect to the Word of God, and order will prevail. It'll spring forth. Is there any area in your life that's out of order? Because if there's any area in our lives that's out of order, it's more than likely because God's not at the forefront of it. Father, we come to you. We ask, dear God, you'd help us today. We desperately need you, and we thank you, Father, for the simplicity of your word. We do ask, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts as we begin to dig in a little bit more into this thought of uh, let all things be done decently in order and rightly dividing the word of truth. We just pray, Lord, you'd help us to realize, Lord, that we need to have a game plan as we approach the word of God. Help us to do things decently and in order there. May we have a reading schedule that we can go to. May we have a, a time when we meet. And Lord, may you just work in our lives and help us, Father, to begin to recognize the pieces in parts so that we can eventually find the place where they fit and build exactly what we should be building so that we can begin to recognize you in the midst always. Father, maybe there's a a life that's out of order. There's confusion that's prevailing in a life. Maybe in a marriage here. Maybe in a home. Maybe even at the workplace. And we're the reason there's so much confusion. Lord, I pray that we would give you precedence in our lives, our marriages, our homes, and even in the workplace in ourselves. Father, help us, Lord, just to yield to you and allow you to have first place. Lord, you will bring order. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.